Welcome back to Gateways, a podcast about the people, places, and possibilities of our regional cities. I'm Dr. Tracy Corley, Transit-Oriented Development Fellow at Mass Inc. And I'm Ben Foreman, Director of the Gateway Cities Innovation Institute at Mass Inc. Today we're talking TTOD. Again, that's Transformative Transit-Oriented Development. Uh, And our backdrop for the conversation today is the recent event in New Bedford, where we had our first TTOD regional forum. Tracy and I are making our way around the state. Yep. (laughs) The Rose Show. Mostly Tracy's making her way around the state. (laughs) Um, But New Bedford was a great place to start, I I think, because it's the place where you really need vision. There's no rail there currently. (laughs) Right. And so you have to really be thinking about the future and how you build it. Right. I mean, that is true in in a number of communities across uh, the state and that, you know, there's an opportunity to do some development. Uh, But we sent out a recap of the event, which listeners can find on our website. Uh, They can also see the presentations. Uh, So uh, I invite everyone to go and check that out. Uh, But to recap the event, we started with a walking tour. Uh, Though the TOD areas in New Bedford currently are not walkable, uh, the TDI, or Transformative Development Initiative District in downtown New Bedford, uh, provided an example of what the TOD area at Wales Tooth could be for program attendees. Yeah, downtown gave us a chance to see what can be done when a city works hard on revitalization over a number of years, and they've brought that downtown to an amazing place. I think everybody who walks uh, it says this is quintessential mid-size regional city feel. You know, it has its own sense of place. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely, um, you know, pedestrian-oriented. Yeah. And, you know, the, the TOD area where the station will be is just adjacent to downtown, and it's a real chance to kind of fill in and build that momentum right. uh, and connect the north northern neighborhoods of the city uh, to its, its city center, so... Right. And what I really enjoy is that uh, they do have a very strong working waterfront and maritime industry there in New Bedford uh, that the TOD area will integrate. And, you know, if we the event was held uh, uh, at the Whaling Museum, which was, so cool. was you know, <laughs> the first maritime industry for the New Bedford and um, what put it on the map, really. Uh, and then it became a textile city. Mm-hmm. And we had um, a business leader, Tony Sapienza, who was in the textiles industry and has really helped the city think about what its future industries will be. Uh, And I think they're more oriented back to the sea again um, with their maritime clusters and Mm -hmm. and offshore wind coming and and a a variety of other opportunities. So um, he introduced the mayor and the mayor talked a lot about the future of the city and the regional economy on the South Coast. So let's listen. Um, One of the big trends that I think Every city of our size, New Bedford's a city of 100,000. We have a metro area, uh, our suburban ring of about 200,000. And cities of similar size have to wrestle with is, you know, how do you compete in in this global economy where uh, the winners tend to be more and more so these days, the superstar cities. Boston, of course, is one of those cities, but there are many of them around uh, the country, and we know their names. They, They so happen to correlate with the cities that happen to have a professional sports team. Cities of that size tend to be, you know, the gravitational centers. Uh, But a lot of America lives uh, elsewhere, right? And so, you know, we live in a time where there is is a fair uh, disconnect between uh, the two. And that disconnect, I think, in some ways explains a lot of what's happening to America today, including the results of, you know, the presidential election a couple of years ago. So these big questions that we ask ourselves uh, are really about our future, the future of our children and grandchildren. 
and um, some places will be left behind, others, others will, will keep up, and, but we need to understand the steps to, that we have to take to, uh, to make sure that our, in, our particular places are well suited for the future. And on the other side of the coin, uh, in the case of those superstar cities, to make sure, like, like Boston, our political capital and the commercial capital of New England, how they can remain uh, uh, competitive in a global economy. And so this discussion, on the one hand, focuses really, frankly, on Boston's ability to remain competitive and have access to, uh, to a competitive workforce uh, in the years ahead. Uh, and it, it is uh, centered around, on, on the other hand, the ability of cities in varying degree to, uh, to connect to Boston, uh, but also to, to, uh, to maintain their own individual identities and create um, uh, alternate um, settings for, for the good life, right? Not everybody's going to want to live uh, in, the, in the, the major metros by, by choice. Well, it's great to hear from Mayor Mitchell about the trends and challenges for gateway cities. He also talked briefly about the impact of South Coast Rail on New Bedford. We've been for years uh, pursuing uh, the South Coast Rail project because we do see it as, a, um, uh, as an important public asset that can lead to economic development. Uh, having connection to, uh, to Boston will be one more thing for people uh, to, to set up shop here, to live here, and so forth. Having that connection is a good thing, where at the same time we have to build on our inherent assets. You have a uh, bird's eye view of the New Bedford waterfront. This is the largest commercial fishing port in the United States. It is the largest seafood processing center in the United States. It is about to become uh, the launching pad for the offshore wind industry in the United States. There are inherent economic ad- advantages here of, of having the, this fully faceted port uh, and, and port workforce that allows us to compete in a global economy and we're doing everything that we can to build on it. So for us, it's doing a little bit of both. It's having the connection to a major metro and by the way, it's having connections to other metros through the, what we're doing at our airport right now, which I think holds a lot of promise in the long run, uh, and building up what we do here, not only what we do here, but what we do, frankly, better than anybody in the country, if not the world, because there, therein lies tremendous economic, a, a tremendous economic advantage, and by the way, a sense of place. Mayor Mitchell wraps up his comments by talking about how we can't predict the future. That's something we've touched upon here. Um, obviously, we live in uncertain economic times, but those times are made even more uncertain by the tensions in state and federal policy today. And I think mayors have to live with that all the time. And it's really interesting how Mayor Mitchell talks about how they navigate that by focusing on people. I think it's really smart. Let's hear what he has to say. Right, so as we look ahead at the prospect of things like uh, autonomous vehicles uh, of every sort, um, you know, there will be a level of disruption that we're not gonna fully, under, that we don't fully understand now. You look at, you know, things as, as uh, as real as, um, as autonomous hovercraft taxis that are being rolled out in places like Singapore and Dubai, you, you wonder further still how well we can predict the future. But what we do know is that in the long run, good infrastructure matters, uh, developing people matters, developing um, uh, through 
every every you know K through eight system workforce every every chance we have to develop people as assets is important, and we also know that when we identify our competitive economic advantages in our place, that that is really important in the long run as well. So those are the efforts that we undertake here in New Bedford, and every city will do it slightly differently based on where they are in the world and what their set of assets are. But uh, as we enter this this is a as we enter this discussion today and continue in the years ahead, uh, we'll have to keep that in mind uh, as, as we plan and as we do our best to uh, predict the future. So I look forward to, um, to the discussion. And again, I thank, uh, I thank Mass Inc. in particular for, uh, for all the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. To hear more about transformative transit-oriented development in the potential and the promise, not just for New Bedford, but for all of southeastern Massachusetts, we had a variety of leaders with different perspectives join us and, and share their views and lead the conversation. Yeah, Rob May, uh, Brockton's Director of Economic Development and Planning, uh, kicked off the panel where he talked about the importance of planning itself. Here's a clip from that presentation. We start putting together a plan, and um, we become designated as a TDI district. And we worked very closely with uh, a young woman named Claire O'Neill, who really helped us put together the downtown action strategy. And so for years, people have been running out and saying, hey, let's do a plan. And the plan just sits there. And so we said, okay, there's some good plans and some good ideas here, but we need to put this into an actionable format. And so we also decided that if we're gonna do this, we need to have an urban renewal plan that goes along with it, and we need to have a diff district. So the, the downtown action strategy gave us a vision of what the community wants to see in downtown. It gave us the authority through the urban renewal to execute that plan, and the diff gives us some funding to help you know, grease the skids a little bit, making in infrastructure improvements. And throughout all of that process, we've been adding other elements to this um, uh, initiative. And so where we are right now, uh, we've been designated as a federal opportunity zone. And um, we thought it, it's important that we start being proactive. We take our message out on the road. And so we've come up with this downtown, uh, this Brockton investor strategy, or investment prospectus, excuse me. Great to see that their emphasis on putting the plan into action gave them a tool for proactively attracting investors in the city of Brockton. It was great how Rob walked us through his seven-layer dip and even pulled out some chips to illustrate the point. He also talked about the importance of their team actively reaching out to developers and investors and leveraging relationships with partners, as well as leveraging programs like MassWorks and the TDI program. Angie Constantino from SERPED, the regional planning agency, brought a unique perspective, uh, talking about bus service and how you deploy TOD around commercial mixed-use developments that mostly rely on on buses. Uh, they do have the train connection in Attleboro and have seen a lot of transit-oriented development around that station, but they're trying to spread that now uh, to other communities in the region. She also provided some TOD planning advice for those who, who are participating that day. Let's take a listen. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about transit in general as it, re as it relates to development and some kind of bigger policy issues. Um, one of the things is um, just keeping in mind to keep transit at the forefront of planning um, from the beginning. So it comes down to, you know, letting regional transit authorities know about potential development in the beginning instead of bringing them in, in at the end. Um, often 
we get. So uh, SERPID gets a lot of MEPA documents from development. We try to let the RTAs know um, about ongoing stuff, but it doesn't always make it to them. And then often we get to a point in the development where somebody says, oh, did you talk to the transit authority? And we get blank stares. And now we have to work backwards um, when plans are already made to figure out if we can fit a 30-foot bus in some little roundabout that they put in the middle front of the building. Angie then made a terrific point about why we need to phase in transit-oriented development. So traditional TODs, you know, pie-in-the-sky, utopian TODs, you kind of think of like a little village, right? A little village around a transit stop where you have everything you need and you don't have to own a car and there's stores and, you know, kind of like, so you, you know, everything walkable and everything's close but um, I feel like you know our commuter rail stations are not quite that utopian so that that you need to get farther away so if if we're going to kind of um, market TOD locations housing to millennials or younger um, you know ones people that don't want to own a car that want to live this far out but don't want to own a car I think we need to keep in mind that Part of that is building strong transit authority, tr- um, transit service. So adding buses to the mix and making sure, yes, we have this commuter rail service that's going to stop here and you live right next to it because this is where the condos were built, but you can also take this great transit service to get to your medical appointments, to get to your grocery stores. So really appealing to them in that way. And again, not even just providing it, but making sure, you know, we talked about 15-minute headways on the train, but like... People in Boston are used to five, ten-minute headways on transit service, and we need to make sure that, you know, if we're going to appeal to that demographic, we need to make sure that we have the kind of service that they're looking for when they come out here. This clip highlights the current reality. Though we have goals to create dense, walkable communities in the future, we're not always there yet. Uh, That's why we need to create strong transit serving the TOD in adjacent areas. The panel also included Ted Carman of uh, Concord Square Planning and Development, he has worked very closely with Rob May and Brockton, as well as in other communities, to develop some great projects. I really appreciate it that he made it very clear uh, about the issues of doing a deal in some of these weaker uh, gateway city communities. It was probably one of the most succinct explanations I had ever heard. And uh, I've been working in gateway cities for well over 20 years and came to, and have done both development work there and also consulting work on some quite complicated financial transactions, such as the project that WBDC did in Worcester, which renovated the uh, old T&G newspaper building into a community center, uh, community college uh, teaching facility. And I think we had uh, close to 20 sources of funds for that project, including three or four new market funds. So uh, I've been focused on how do you make projects economically feasible in these communities, which, as the mayor said, and others have said, is really a function of the fact that uh, the costs here or in Brockton or in Worcester are close to the same as in Boston, but the rents are much lower, so you have a a big gap. And the question is, the gap, a mortgage, because the rents are lower, what happens is you And you also have the same kind of operating costs. So the net operating income that comes out of the projects ends up being uh, substantially less uh, than in places where it's feasible to build housing. Uh, So the mortgage might be 30 to 50% of the cost, which means that, and maybe you can get 20% of the cost as equity. So you've got a a shortfall of 
up to 50% in these projects. Ted provided a detailed explanation of federal and state programs for investing in projects and how they contribute to the fiscal health of gateway cities when you're able to get development to occur. He also explained why when it comes to new construction, we really don't have tools to finance projects on the vacant land that sits next to a lot of our gateway city rail stations. Uh, for new construction projects, the problem of building in gateway cities is even more difficult because there's no state historic credit and there's no federal credit. There's only the HDIP. Um, in Brockton, it's worked, it's right now, it's working in two occasions where, uh, well, one occasion, uh, new construction is underway uh, because the developer is very competent, uh, has a lot of other property, and acts as his own general contractor. And when that happens, probably 30% of the cost goes away. So he's picked up 30% of the gap that he might have with on that basis. But it's a special circumstance, and it's hard to do that in a whole lot of scale. There aren't many developers in the state can, that can operate on that basis. Ted's explanation highlights the importance of HDIP in creating more market rate housing. It was great then to hear from Kirsten Bryan, Assistant Planning Director at the City of New Bedford. She concluded the panel discussion. We saved her for last since the city is still planning for rail service, uh, but has been working very hard in putting together some TOD plans. New Bedford will have two stops, uh, and the two stations are unique. The Wales Tooth stations on the waterfront near the city's downtown uh, and there you would see mixed-use residential development and multimodal connections with buses, bikes, pedestrians, and maritime transportation. Uh, the second station is more of a neighborhood stop in the city's north um, side, uh, and there's a lot of unique considerations for planning around growth and development there. The second TOD is North Station, and that is adjacent to the King's Highway Plaza. Again, as I mentioned, close proximity to Route 140. It's important to talk a little bit about the new platform location. Um, for a long time, the city was expecting that the platform would be located within Kings Highway Plaza. However, recently, the platform was located, moved rather, to the west side of the tracks. And while it's very close in proximity to where it was previously, um, there are several implications that will need to be researched in terms of traffic circulation and connectivity to development and also existing residential, the neighborhood. And I will show you another map with those connections. So the TOD site is kind of in that hatched purple. Um, the station is the red asterisk. All of that orange-yellow area is dense residential, so it'll be very close to the proposed platform location. Um, there are some wetlands that we outlined in a greenish-blue, just to show you the current configuration of the Kings Highway Plaza. But what we want to work on, and what we'll be sure to work on with the community um, through outreach, is working on connecting that dense residential neighborhood to the station platform. We'll also take a look at what that new location will mean for people traveling to the station via Route 140. Um, previously, it would have been much more direct access. Now we'll have to take a look at what that means, what it means to have to drive around, um, what that looks like for people. And again, I do want to stress that we will certainly be in touch with the community because their outreach is 
our outreach to the community is critical and we value our residents' voices for sure. Kirsten really brought home that engaging the community in the planning process is critical to address some of the concerns that folks might have about equitable growth. Displacement is a reality in places where real estate development occurs. Connecting to existing residents and keeping them in place must be a top priority for our gateway cities. The panel discussion integrated these concepts in a comprehensive way. We invite listeners to check out the conversation and the entire event on our website. We'll include the link to the recap in our show notes. But here's a sample. Uh, thinking 10 years out, there's some really extraordinary research be, being done academically about uh, the economy, and particularly the economy in places like Boston, San Francisco, New York City, and Washington, D.C., which have high total factor productivity, TFP. And in these communities, what happens is because of the confluence of the businesses that are there, the educational institutions, the hospitals, the resources, the money, these communities want to expand. And what happens when that expansion is thwarted by a lack of housing production, which is certainly the case in greater Boston, what happens is you get much higher um, housing costs and you get higher wages, but you don't have that many new jobs. So what, uh, what Tracy showed us in that first slide was the potential for the gateway cities is 140,000 new people living in the cities and 140,000 new jobs. And I think if all of this can be brought to scale in some fashion so that those 140,000 new units actually get built in the gateway cities, then what you're going to see is the jobs moving into the gateway cities as well as they become much more attractive places for people to be. So that's the challenge. The challenge is how to get these ideas from, we now know that they work, how do you get it to scale so that thousands of units can get built in the communities that need them and want them, and in the process take some of the pressure off Boston and continue to allow the economy of greater Boston, which extends down to here, to grow. Ted's comments in this example really highlight why we are doing our TOD work here at Mass Inc. The people in our gateway cities are poised to be, I guess you can say, better integrated into the advancement of the economy and quality of life across Massachusetts, but they really need the tools to do so. And that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Dr. Tracy Corley. And I'm Ben Foreman. This week's show was produced by Lear Johansson and Libby Gormley. Music by the Curtis Mayflower, Worcester's own. Stay tuned for our next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.